Well, this is it. Dude, We're here. We're doing it. David Armstrong. David Armstrong's in the room. Extraordinary. <laughs> now, do you mind if I tell my story right off the bat here? No, I'd love. There's six degrees here. Yeah. Which is really interesting. You, you know Kevin Bacon, too. <laughs> yeah. We're good friends with him. We can't. We can't, in fact. No. Uh, That's pork bacon. I, yeah, I've never met you, but I've seen you on stage, and I've heard you on a podcast. I was at the premiere. That shut me right up. I'm like, what? I was on the premiere. I was at the premiere of uh, The Assassin's Code. Here in Los Angeles? Yes. Oh, oh, my God, with Mark Thompson. Mark Thompson. Yeah, yeah I've, I've been a, a huge fan of Mark for years. Yeah, the Mark, Mark and Brian show. Mark and Brian KLOS. show. And we, uh, my wife and I listened to Mark and Linda. He's a huge inspiration for me getting into podcasting. So I heard uh, you. I heard the whole thing. As soon as the tickets got released, I bought tickets right away. I was probably the first guy. I don't know, but but that's true. But uh, it was such a fun experience. It was awesome meeting Mark. I've never met Mark. Uh, and what a great film that was. And Thank you. Uh, I enjoyed yeah, I Mark's that. role, of course. So, yeah, I when he when he mentioned your name, I was like, oh, my God, that is Well, hilarious. I dropped it a few times, actually. I was saying, this guy, this guy, this guy. So yeah. I want to have him on the podcast. I had no idea. And he goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Because I think I called the film Legacy. Which, what, which, which is, is what it it's was. It's original started, title. It started that, yeah. right? Then we changed it and to then Assassin's it changed, and, uh And then he put it together, and he goes, wait a minute. Is it this guy? I'm like, yep, that's David. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's a small world. Well, it, it's really funny you should world. say that because when you introduced me just before you started rolling here, um, I was thinking, oh, I bet he'd like to meet Mark Thompson. Oh, oh. my God, would I ever like to meet right, Mark Thompson? Because you started telling me his backstory yeah. and podcasts and radio, yeah. and I'm thinking, oh. Yeah, he's my he is my inspiration. Mark and Brian, oh, my God, I, I listen to him every morning. Uh, so it was 25 years. Crazy. Long insane. time. Great, great. He's just an awesome, awesome guy. Well, how I met Mark was a film about... About 2007 or 2008, I just come back from, I can't remember which Saw was, like Saw 3 or Saw 4. And um, you were shooting that? Yeah, and, yeah I shot uh-huh. Saw 1 through 6. Okay. Yeah, Crazy. So, so I did the first no one for deal. James Wan. Yeah, then, no yeah. big deal. Yeah. I stopped after 6. I only do a half a dozen Saws. <laughs> <laughs> and then I move on. Right, right. So I, Smart. I, I have my integrity. Nice. <laughs> so he capped out at 6. <laughs> right. So um, I uh, knew a guy who was saying, I'm, I'm um, directing a film with Mark Thompson, something he wrote called 213, a great psychological thriller. And that's where I met Mark. And cool. as and I was the DP on it, I was the director of photography. And so I remember I remember the specific scene. We were doing the scene in the police station, and I just thought he was untapped talent. Now he actually couldn't do a lot of acting in television and theater because he was under contract to ABC sure. and they were always keeping him busy with right. KLOS, which was owned by ABC. I don't right. know if they are now, but they were then. And um so he didn't get out, but uh I I just I remember um, when I got the second film, me and my fiance Valerie Grant, who's my also my screenwriting partner, we I said the police captain. I said I want you to let's write that for Mark. That's so. Before great. I told Mark, nice. he didn't know because I didn't want to say, "Hey, you might be in a film." There's nothing worse than yeah, saying, right. "I may have a film for you." Yeah, you know, and just so until I actually knew, show up with them some yeah. cake. And maybe. when the producers came on board, I went with all their choices and you know that I agreed with, and I said, "But." You got to give me this one, and then once I got it cleared, I just said it's yours to lose, Mark. Well, he did a great job. He did, he did. a great He's job. Fantastic. Yeah, and it is a great film. 
for coming. Uh, yeah, really, I really enjoyed really working enjoyed on it too. Really that film. Yeah. Uh, was, and I was watching it again. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kreppel, you did a great job on the sound. Thanks, buddy. Thank yeah, you. That's actually how, how David and I met. Um, sitting in the dark together. Sitting in the dark together playing footsies. Yeah. Uh, talking about uh, off-screen dog panting that he wanted to have. Had and, to be there. Uh, and yep. it ne- I never got the panting I want to. I'm very specific about my <laughs> panting. Four-year-old Dobermans. Panting, right. mm. I don't want cocker, cocker Spaniels. I want Dobies. And then they have to be four years old. That's they right. They cannot be There's four a certain and a sound. Yeah. There's a certain, certain sound. sound of a four-year-old Doberman. Yeah. yeah. And so then that we became friends off of that. We, yep. It, was I it, mean, we sat we sat for a week in the big room and and did the mix, right. and during that time, you know, you get to know each other in a short amount of time. Yeah. But right away, David and I were our sensibilities were very similar, right? And we both thought the scenes worked better, you know, this way than that way, and um, and then you know, just you eat lunch together and you start talking about life, and you know, oh, we like to camp and. I'm a musician and, oh, yeah, I do, you know, this is what Val and I do. We travel or, yeah. you know, whatever. And um, then I just kind of pressed him full court about the camping thing. And he finally broke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he and went all in. Wait, he was he it went you? full <laughs> in. You asked first, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's yeah. all in. He's already he's already gone. Yeah, and, yeah. And where's, where's, where's yeah, so Well, the good, the good news is for us is we just finished restoring the van. Okay. So it's mechanically brand new. Brand new motor. There you go. New transmission. New exhaust, radiator. Yeah, he's got this tits. awesome camper. Yeah. I've only seen yeah. pictures, but yeah. you showed, sent me pictures it's of, a like 75. Half of it, half of it disassembled. Yeah, 75 shag wagon, man. It's literally got carpet, paneling, the whole thing. I can't wait to see it. Oh, well, dude. we can't to see each other. You yeah. haven't seen what I did. I Mine either. Yeah. So So yeah. you guys had great, you know, good relationship. How, how important, David, is it in, in this process to have that sort of, you know, chemistry and relationship in, in creating what you want to create? Well, specifically to the relationship with Kreppel, um, can I, I, sorry, yes. I don't know why I keep calling it's beautiful. you Kreppel. Yeah, Kreppel. That's Kreppel it. to me. It's Kreppel, <laughs> yeah. I'll start calling him that too now. Yeah, so, it's rub off on me. Um, I, I th- never consciously thought of this, but I always, when I go to meet people like at a nice restaurant or in, the, or, or in work, I, I watch, I had to think about it. I do it automatically. I never thought about doing it. Is I just, I start to dismantle the professional rapport hmm. right away. Like if I go to a restaurant, I'll be like, hey, so what the fuck's really good here? You know, <sighs> like, you know, can, you know, yeah, like yeah. I immediately yeah. start joking, break the guy down. Cracking so, the ice. Because it's, it's a lot more fun with me when the guy's like, look, don't, don't order that, order this, right? As opposed to like, good evening, sir. And <laughs> hello, you know, right. and, you know the, <laughs> the formality. Because, because yeah. everything starts that way. Yeah. And, and, and editors and sound mixers, they, they have to. Yep. Right, because you don't know what you're dealing with. Yep. Until you know what you're dealing with, you start off, yes, sir, mm-hmm. absolutely, yes, we have that. I can yep. do that right away. Yep. Right, and you know, and pretty soon, just you know, you know, we're telling off, off, uh, offhanded jokes to each other and getting to know each other, and um, and then that's, but but I do that because you get more out of people mm-hmm. because then they'll say, you know, you you get their opinion. And I know how to, um, you know, I think half my career if, if, as a cinematographer, if you look at the films I've done, probably 50% of what's up there is other people's ideas. Mm. You know, my yeah. gaffer, my key grip, yeah. script supervisor, somebody. You know, I think I think talent is being able to go, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And I would always joke with my crew if they come up with a good idea. I'm like, wow, I can't wait to take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember that line. I'm sure I've said it to you. I'm like, wow, that's great, Kreppel. I can't wait to take credit for that. <laughs> you know, great. so I mean, it's, you know, I'm acknowledging them and doing it with humor. But yeah. you you just get more out of, out, of, out of the way. The team gets more on board, I think. 
And as a filmmaker, I really think if if it's just my vision that ends up on the screen, I think I'm at a loss. You're 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 not ahead of the game. It's just not a it's not baseball. It's just not you at the bat. It is right. such a team sport, and there's just too many things going on. And you just got to be a, what I call a kind dictator. Yeah. You know, I mean, you take care of your people. <clears throat> you do realize you had the buck to stop with you, and you learn to give poop sandwiches and go, <laughs> hey, that's really great idea. I'm not going to do that, but thanks. Keep the ideas coming, yeah. right? You, you know, you got to be able because at the end of the day, uh, we all just want to be heard. I mean, that's really the thing I think that pisses good point. anybody off. Not it's, being heard. Yeah, it's just not being heard. It is. You know, I have no problem if you don't want my idea. But boy, it just stings when, you know, when I and I've been on films as a cinematographer where you know I've been treated as just turn the camera on, off and on, and get a light reading. You know, I'm not here for your input. I'm like, okay. So as a cinematographer, what I I know nothing about about what it takes. Neither to, do I. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, you're doing a great job so far. Um, uh, what does it take? I mean, as a cinematographer, what is your approach? I mean, are you, are you going off of what the director says or how much input do you have? And how actually is a three-parter, how does being a cinematographer translate into being a director? Does it help? Well, you have to, you have to have somewhere in your heart as a cinematographer. You, you could not necessarily be a good director, but you certainly got to know the job as a cinematographer because it's one and the same, right? Yeah. It's not a book. It's not where a book, you know, where it, it, it details everything you're looking at. You know, I, you need to capture it in one image, right? right? Or in several images. And you have to understand storytelling. You have to understand the human condition and how people watch. You know, I think mm. uh, David Mamet uh, in a book he wrote about directing says that movies are just like dreams, right? And he says, so if you have a dream and you remember it, it's a series of images, right? Yeah. I was in my mother's room, my mother's house, but it wasn't her house, but it was my mom's house. You, you were there, but it didn't look like you, you know, and you go through, right? So when you wake up, you take those series of images, right? Mm -hmm. And then you try to figure out what the hell the story sure. was, right? Because that's the same thing that's happening in a movie. Awesome. Right? If you think about it, if, if, if I literally photograph the whole process of getting your keys and going into your car, it'd be a five-minute event. Instead, we just show keys being picked up, walking out the door, car door closed, tire spinning, and the car leaves. Right. Right? And, and no one's going, God, I don't understand. what. How did he get in the car? When did, when did he start it? Did he put <laughs> we it put, in we gear? We put two and two together. Did, was the yeah. emergency break off? I, I, I'm just confused. Right? We don't do that. Right? Right. right. So we, we, you know, that's we have to figure out the series of images. That's why uh, you ever see um, The Sixth Sense? Yes. M. Night Shyamalan. Mm -hmm. Well, how the whole movie works is because he takes that whole thing about you filling in the blank and use it against you. Right. So, for instance, in the movie, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it's it's revealed that how ghosts uh, get from one place to another is they imagine where they want to be and they're there. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a shot towards the end of the movie where he wants to get to his man cave, which is under the stairwell in his house. There's like this door under the stairwell. And you see him walk to the door. He goes and grabs the doorknob, reaches for and it's locked. He reaches for his pocket for a key. And the next shot is him walking down the stairs and nobody's going, how did he get on the other side of the door? He right. must be a ghost. Right. But yeah. he wanted to be walking down the stairs and that's where he was. And the whole movie is like that all the way through. Yeah. Even now, even as a sound thing. Yeah. So um, there is I almost had caught it once, but I I, dis, I dismissed it as they made a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, there's the scene where he goes to see his wife and he's standing at a glass 
door and she's at the other end of this room inside and she's talking to this young guy who they're suggesting maybe she's having an affair or they're interested and he's standing there and he gets mad now in the movie they said when ghosts get mad it gets really cold right so i remember the scene he's standing there he looks he gets really mad and you cut to them the, his wife and this other guy and you hear this and I thought, oh, I remember talking about this. I'm like, oh, yeah. bad sound effects. That's yeah. not the sound glass makes when you hit it. It's a tsh kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then when I found out he was dead, at the end, I went Freezing. back and went, oh, he got really angry. It got really cold. And the warm glass did yeah. that imploding yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Is it imploding or I'm spider sure. webbing is what I call it. <laughs> okay. And it does that. So, so throughout the movie, he's using those, pe how people jump around. Yeah. And, and when he's sitting there at the table with his wife, you just think that she's mad. That's why she's not looking at him while, while she's talking. It's such a great film. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's so great to hear it deconstructed. It really is. I mean, this is like major, <laughs> major info yeah. for people. They're going to be Seriously. like, oh my God. I have to watch that movie again. You know, I I I, this is great. I think it's similar to what you and I experience as musicians mm -hmm. because because the average person doesn't hear the music like you and I oh, hear yeah, it. Man, like I can so tell when awful. a drummer's playing the hi hat or the ride or how even how big the crash is that they yeah, hit yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. or what type of crash yeah. you know all that different stuff. It's it's very similar. He's he's going to see a movie way different than I'm going to see it. Yeah. Well, it's right? funny you should say that about music because music baffles me. I mean, I love music. I have, I have an Akai reel to reel at home. Mm. I have a 74 Sexy. Pioneer and a 75 Pioneer turntable. Silverface? Yeah. Oh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a Marantz 2285B. Wow. I just like, and, I, and they're all in custom wood cabinets. Nice. Right? So I just, I just love music and I have a thousand LPs and, nice. right? But I, I couldn't do music to save my life, mm -hmm. and I and I have this thing in my head of like how do how how is new music cr always created? Like it right. seems like all of it's it hasn't it all been done? Yeah, but there's always new music. Yeah, right. That's uh, unlike films, which tend to be the same story. Like Dances with Wolves be. is really um, Avatar. Right. It's true. It's the same. It's the same movie. Right. Really, it's yeah. really a guy. Is. A guy true. comes to destroy them, gets on their side, and then then opposes the people that sent him there. Yeah. It's the same movie. Yeah. Right. It's just now they're That's so blue and another bling bling. Right. Yeah. But but music blows my mind. Is that how did you think that up? Like that's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Usually and there's always new. There's yeah. Always new it's music. usually how did you feel that up? Yeah. Because it's not really. Yeah. It, it's it's less less head, more more heart mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to now music. Now that you say but, that, that makes more sense. Yeah. Because yeah. there's always. But it's got emotions are unique. I mean, yeah, is, yeah, is it yeah. not the same when writing a script and creating a film? I mean, it's uh, it's got to have. There's got to be more. There's got to be instinct involved. It's, I mean, it's, well, you guys go, you don't have to be, you don't have to know movies or understand movies to know that it, how often you see a new movie where you go, God, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. Right. I mean, you take La La Land, it's just, you know, Paris in America, uh, Paris, uh, was it, um, an American Paris, you know, or Dancing in the Rain. I mean, it's just modern they're derivatives yeah they're yeah. doing it on the freeway and and it's just how do we do this and make <laughs> a it a little different and you could see why it had it took him forever to try to get that made you know, so, hey, so hey who, i want to do a musical <laughs> yeah good luck so who's doing film like nobody else right now well, who's somebody that that's doing that i think i mean okay so the, the, the movies do come up but i but then they don't they don't make they don't hit the mainstream right. i mean but we also go to the movies because we want to check out you know we it's wanna, true be entertained Entertain. Let go. Right. Be, be led on a journey without having to think about it, where it's going. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? But I do like film that makes you think a little bit more. I like independent film a little bit more. It makes you feel uh, as opposed to like a, a big explosion, you know, or a superhero flick or something like that, you know? And the, But unfortunately, those don't make money. I think the year it's that true. Whiplash was up for Academy mm. Award, it was, it was, I think, eight films. It was one of eight films. And if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, but if I remember reading that seven of those eight films didn't make any money, only mm-hmm. one of them did, right? Crazy. So it's it's a it, bummer. I mean, I, I what now? What do you think about that? Are you are you what 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 genre are you a fan of? That's a tough one. As as like my my toy reading, I just love reading good sci-fi. I mean, like good story science fiction, not just you know spaceship shooting, but you know good plotting stories. Um, I love a good story. I mean, people will always yeah. ask me, what's your favorite genre? And I'm like, I just love a good story. Yeah. I'm not necessarily... The genre of good storytelling. The genre of good yeah. storytelling. Yeah, <laughs> a good genre, I'd say. But I think that's also changing a lot because of, of social media. And not because social media itself, but because how I think younger people are reacting to things, whereas guys our age mm-hmm. are processing things. Yeah. Right? So And so they're not... They don't. They don't. Um, they don't process information. So what? What do I mean by that? Um, like a dating app. Like if you know, we were going to go onto a dating app, we would probably go to the popular ones like Match.com and the other ones that are out there because we're going to sit and want to read a bio for you know. I'm going right. to read the bio and look at the history and look right. at the things and kind of digest all this. Whereas now the dating apps, I don't know what they're called, but you know they swipe them left to right. Right. And I ask people just out of curiosity. They're like, I said, how long do you look at a photograph? They go one to three seconds. Wow. Which I think is. Amazing, right? Because yeah. if you really think about it, it's an entire human being with a life, a story, dreams, heart, hopes, desires, yeah. and everything. And they're getting all of a one to two seconds. <laughs> yeah. you know, and then people go on these dates and wonder, well, like, I don't, why is this not working out? <laughs> uh, you, you were attractive in the two seconds I yeah, swiped yeah. you left. Yeah. And, you know, but yeah. and so because everyone's processing. And, and it's because social media is 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 all about reaction mm-hmm. right so if it's i true. and there's no there's no conversation in social media so if i take a picture with you crap well, I, I say hey here we are at the studio we're recording right. you don't get back who's the guy with you oh that, that's mike Creville. how do you know him well i did this film oh you directed a film when did you do that well i did it right. here right. i did the post here and then sound there oh that's fantastic i'd love to get in the films i'd love to you know, dun, 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 dun. Right. right it doesn't exist it's just emojis and reaction and, and thumbs up yeah. what a and good a, point man. and a heart so yeah. true I don't think it's because nobody doesn't want to process information. It's just not the communication. Like, if you were my best friend in high school, you were my social media. Right. Right? And I'd go, yeah. hey. I'd say, hey, Mike, do you think that girl might go out with me? I don't know. Let me go ask a friend who knows her yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we get, right? And then it comes back to you. And so you had to process what you were hearing. And, and so now you're reacting. And so... I think that's a very good point. So how it's that, reaction. It's yeah. a reaction. They're reacting basis. to stuff. Yeah. And so when you watch when you watch movies like um, the movie uh, First Man, it was mostly a series of close ups, which is reactionary shots. Mm-hmm. I, I was dying for a wide shot in it, <laughs> and I was like some space to breathe. Some <laughs> space to breathe because I'm looking to process yeah. what's happening, what's happening in their argument, and I wasn't given that. I was given a lot of reactionary shots. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and then it, it didn't have the same emotion, whereas I talked to people who were 21, 23, and they're like, God, I loved it. And, and but they were completely bored if they watched, let's say, Apollo 13, yeah. you know, with Tom Hanks, <clears throat> which is all information and process. So yeah. it's it's 
it's how their hamburgers are being served up these days. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a good or bad. Well, it just is. That's a really good point, too, because uh, we recently watched Jaws. It was a very random And the screenwriter is a very good friend of mine, Carl Gottlieb. Excellent. He's a very dear old friend. Um, we watched that, and I was in awe of how they made that movie. And I'm not talking about the dramatic stories around the shark not working and all of that stuff. <laughs> I'm talking about Roy's sheriff truck driving up the road, and it's this long yeah. shot as it crosses frame, and then yeah. it's going, and then it's gone. It's like a 10 or a 12-second shot. You don't do that now. You, you, you couldn't. You, you yeah. can't. They'd be, why, why are we on the truck so long? Like, can't we, like, cut to the inside or something or, or whatever? How do you know you're getting there where you can't do that anymore? I mean, is it, it do, do you, I mean. The producers come into the, the editing room and go, this sucks. Okay. They go, this is boring. Same, I guess, same as a music producer would say, yeah. nah, this is, this, this uh, two minute intro, you can't Led Zeppelin it anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, all right, exactly. that makes sense. Yep. But do you, do you go forward and still try? I mean, as as a filmmaker. Well, you you see the directors who can. You see Tarantino's going. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go that. for a two hour and forty five minute. You yeah. know, uh, the Hateful Eight or yeah. or, or uh, Once Upon a Time. You know, um, uh, yeah. I mean, they get away with it because they can. You know, and it, people are they they have a cult, sort of a cult following. Uh, with, with the, they know what to expect with this well, film. Y- maybe. Yeah, I mean that that he's established himself as basically I can do whatever the fuck I want. Mm. I'm going to shoot on film and I'm going to shoot the length, which is is right on. But most people, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's just a commodity, you know, for most of the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, Dunkirk was something Warner Brothers didn't want to do because um, they didn't, you know, usually period war movies is not what the studios run to as a moneymaker. Right. And um, but he he's British. He grew up with the story of Dunkirk. It was in his heart, his soul, and he wanted to do that. I saw him speak at the DGA, you know, and and, uh, and also I'd read, you know, Warner Brothers was like, well, look, we need to give this to him because we want to stay with him. He makes money. He right. brings in the crowd. And who are you referring to? I'm sorry. Today. Uh, um, 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 uh, Dun- the director Dunkirk. Uh, um, <laughs> well, he's remembering say. that the DGA is director, the Directors Guild, too. By the way, okay. Oh gotcha, yeah, the gotcha. Directors. Yeah, Guild. all the yeah. lingo that uh, this yeah. is. This is why I'm here because I'm I'm the guy that uh, <laughs> knows nothing. This so, is good. Yep. Keep keep, good. keep it honest so that the people that yeah. are listening because uh, DGA some of stuff is, will the, be over is the Directors Union, right? Okay, it's David? just the guild. Um, uh, it's just the guild. Uh, unions are yeah. We don't have a union but they um they enforce union contracts oh there you go um so typically a film like dunkirk is not something the studios yeah which yeah i'm sorry that was my no problem. no it's no, okay chris, yeah. chris no chris nolan directed okay, gotcha. that interstellar and everything but he wanted to make that film and uh the studio said yes and and they were pleasantly surprised yeah. that it made a lot of money right i i feel like that is uh I mean, I look. I, I know money moves the meter. I understand that. It's just the way that it is. But it, it's it's unfortunate that some creativity gets you know gets stifled a bit because of it. You know, because I'd I say most, the lack of. It. I would say most creativity yeah. does. There's always the director's cut. Right. I mean, you know, you you well, Ridley Scott and Blade Runner is a great story. Um, so um, the you know the version that's out now that he would show the director's cut is doesn't have the voiceover in it right and so the voiceover came about when he i think yeah it was warner brothers again um 
so Ridley's deal with the studio was is if he went 10% over budget, that he would lose control of the film, right? Wow. They would make it their way. So if you have you ever seen the director's cut versus the original? So the original had voiceover in it, and then the director's cut doesn't. And um, so without it, the, the money people were like, this doesn't make sense. You know, we need, you know, what do we do? We need voiceover. Right, right. And voiceover is usually something that movie makers try to stay away from. It's usually because I can't tell the story, so I need voiceover. But then there's times where, you know, Shawshank Redemption, where it absolutely works. Right. Yeah, right? absolutely. Right. Uh, not saying it doesn't work, but a lot of times producers. Often it's a fix. Yeah, movie makers are like, you know, just can we f- figure out if you can make the movie without See, it? See, now mm-hmm. that's, the in- that's interesting stuff right there. I would mm-hmm. never, you would never have known that. So, yeah. the, so they went to Harrison Ford. The money went to Harrison Ford and said, look, we need you to do a voiceover. And they wrote up a voiceover. And Ford went to Scott and said, look, I don't want to do a voiceover. Mm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the worst voiceover possible. <laughs> and it'll be so bad they won't even want to use it. I love it. And that's exactly what happened. They were oh, like, my God. And they were like, that's this so is great. It's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. brilliant. You know, because you, you hear the you hear the, uh, the the dryness and the and the – monotone of his voice or he goes he's the kind of cop that when he would talk like this you know and and but then it's like well it's an, it's a futuristic noir film yeah. so it 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 strangely works in a strange way mm-hmm. and i've seen it so many times with the voiceover before the movie come out so when i watch the movie without it there i still can hear the voiceover yeah, yeah. i know sure. exactly what he's saying sure that's at every funny. spot yeah. in fact i was at union train train station this morning doing some location scouting and i was showing somebody where they shoot the scene where he goes to visit the cop in the beginning and then that huge hall they shot that at union train station i was just showing that to someone this morning interesting going, this is where they shot blade runner hey, so cool. noir that's a good segue to your film, right? Is, is was that the sort of the inspiration? Uh, what, yeah, the, the, the Assassin's genre? Code. Yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's noir, uh, noir. Um, I'm so what, the what most mean, proud noir? of the music. And yeah, it, the music's great. Noir it. was a it was a time in the fifties where it was just very brutal cinematography, just brutal lighting. Meaning it was just one hard light. You know, it was either lit or it was dark. There was never grays. It yeah, was yeah. just it, and and it was you know like the Maltese Falcon and you know and films like that with Humphrey Bogart um, of just. They were just brutal, you know, the slapping the woman. Shut up. You hear me? <laughs> okay, gotcha. You know, tell you again. Yeah. again. You know, you, you, you kind of see that in a more modern version in uh, Chinatown where uh, Faye Dunaway is being confronted, you know. The, do you know, the, have you seen the movie Chinatown? It's been a long time. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. so Jack Nicholson's confronted. He's like, what is the secret you're telling me? And he says, who is she? She's my sister. He slaps her. He says, my daughter slaps her. <laughs> slap, slap, slap. And it's the, you know, and it's sort of the homage back to those 50s. They're just yeah. brutal. Hey, dame, you're looking good. And, you know, right, right. You know Muggsy, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and it just, you know, that was that, you know, there's, there's so many noir films like that. I think the Maltese Falcon is probably the one with Humphrey Bogart comes to mind and, and Sidney Greenstreet who's in that yeah. um, big heavy like mm, yeah oh, I'd laugh like that he was the fat man right. he's called the fat man in uh, Casablanca with his fez hat gotcha. tries to buy Rick's bar all the time from him <laughs> so uh, why why noir for for Assassin's Code hmm I, I guess I just, I mean, I love that period. I love that time. I, I probably, the thing that was the most noirish in the film was the music. Yeah, that's what I thought. The I music's like just something I'm really proud it's, of. I can still hear some of the music. Yeah, yeah great horn. Um, yep. um, yeah, great horn. So um, um, 
that I I went to my composer. Um, how blanking on his name. I'm horrible with names. I got to come with a little paper, a little list of names. <laughs> well, I am too. Um, <laughs> so. um, uh, Austin Wintory or Austin Wintory. I always would say Wintory. Austin Wintory. Austin is fab, fantastic musician. First time I went to meet with him at his studio, which is not far from here in Burbank. He'd be sitting with his back to his keyboard, and I was sitting on a couch just about six feet away from him. And every time we'd say a piece of music, he'd spin and start playing it. He was like like the magic piano at the Magic Castle. You ever been to the Magic Castle? And you just, there's a piano there if you don't know. There's a piano at the Magic Castle after you walk through the bookcase to get in. And there's this piano, and all you could do is say, play the entertainer. And it would just start playing. So, so there's a guy obviously somewhere and you know, right. listening, yeah. and this piano would play. But Austin would do this. So Austin says to me, uh, um, who's your favorite composer? I said, oh, that's got to be Jerry Goldsmith. For me, I just love Jerry Goldsmith. The Twilight Zone, the Planet of the Apes, the first Star Trek movie, uh, yeah. The Wind. You know. And then he says, well, what piece of yours? And I said, hands down, The Wind and the Lion." That and Austin goes, oh, that's my favorite too. And then he points to the wall. And he's got this lithograph of of, of Jerry Goldsmith, no and he's got he's got the wind and the lion poster over. He's like, oh my god, that's my favorite piece of all. Hmm. I'm like, so we bonded over that, right? Right. And and that's a fantastic movie. Um, it's like 1975. Brian Keith plays Teddy Roosevelt, and it's Sean Connery as a 1903 pirate in the desert. He's a desert pirate Shit. with uh, you know with the, the whole Arab garb on, and uh, Candace Bergman he kidnaps her, and it's just this wow. swept away, swashbuckling on the desert mm-hmm. film with Sean Connery. You you, <laughs> ha, you have the Scotsman on a horse. Yeah, nice. He's like, don't do that to me, you know. And he, and he, uh, and he's all dressed up as a pirate in black. Right. That's hilarious. Yeah. And he's, he's, like, he's like, my name is Muli Ahmed Mohammed El-Razuli the Magnificent. That's great. With a full-on Scottish accent. I just, I oh, love that movie. That's funny. That's you can good. tell I've seen that more than once. <laughs> yeah. That's a, you could do voiceovers. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, so uh, what was it? How long did it take to make that film? I mean, what was the process for you? And, oh, God. and what was the inspiration to Spill do it. it? I mean, Spill it, Armstrong. What made you want to make that? You're, you're a successful cinematographer. What made you want to make your own film? Well, that was my second film. I, I mean, b- well, before that, um, I never wanted to direct. I thought I wasn't going to direct. Directing, I would finish a movie at the end of the day, and the producers were dragging the director into a room to yell at him about something. And I'm like, God, thank God that's yeah. not me. I'm going to the bar with the crew. Right. Come on, guys, drinks are on <laughs> yeah. me. Right? I mean, that's where I wanted to be. And I was a camera assistant for 10 years before I even even held a light meter. Um, did a lot of TV shows, a lot of Aaron Spelling shows and Dick Wolf shows over at Universal. You know, Dick is Wolf's most famous for Law and Order. And, and then, you know, Aaron Spelling had all those. Lots of. Lots 2000, of yeah. yeah, 2001 <clears throat> Malibu Road. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. So uh, the Spelling and So that was my growing up uh was in the um the camera assisting um which was a, a definitely a different time um in film and television and so i did that forever and um then i started shooting and uh i had in between camera assisting starting to shoot i went to the american film institute and i got a master's in uh, cinematography and graduated from there in 98 and um and then, you know, got out of school and I had to start working. So, um, you know, I fell back on camera assisting. I did MTV Cribs for 
like five years. Wow. Yeah. So which was which really was it was I at the end of that run, I, I remember thinking, you know what? This is not what I want to do. Right. There's nothing more frustrating than going to a basketball player's house. And I remember this one, it was down in San Diego. I don't remember who it was, but I remember the house. And we got in there and this guy would be, because he was in basketball, he gets a new pairs of shoes from all the big yeah, right. makers, right? And so he says, I get a pair of shoes, I wear them once, and then he had little cubby holes for each pair of shoes. And he had 600 shoes Holy crap. in this room. He's like, each shoe was just worn once and then it goes into the shelf. And I'm like, man, <laughs> okay. Right. I'm like, I, this cannot be my cinematic career. Right. <laughs> and there, I mean, I got so many crib stories. It's, it's Filming just, once we, worn shoes. You know, we used to do things like um, uh, uh, we would check the glove box we learned to check the glove box. It would B-roll. B-roll means when they're gone, we go and photograph the car with nobody. So when you're following someone and they go, oh, and here's my car, then we cut to clean video of just the car right. swooping around or going in. But we would always check the glove box to see if there was rental slips in there. Yeah. There'd be a Lamborghini. and It was about 50-50. You open it up and there'd be you know, a, a car rental slip. They rented their Lamborghini <laughs> for the day. And they go, oh, here's my Lamborghini. And then we're like, oh, we're, let's see if it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mythbusters. That's funny. 50% yeah. of the time. That's interesting. Yeah. It was... Uh, we we did we did some one time we did some musicians that um i hadn't heard of and they literally we showed up they literally just rented this brand new huge house for the day and we're loading it with furniture unpacking a tv to make it look like they live there wow and they're like can you just wait a little longer we're still moving. is there anything not produced in the world my goodness yeah that was a very you know sad I mean? day when i realized but that most, reality tv but is... most of them but most of them were real and yeah. you know there was god i got i, I got some hysterical stories but um <laughs> yeah uh, but mostly great people but i remember uh the band we did you know this was like 19 2001 2000 and we went down to blink 182 mm. was it yeah blink 182 yeah. i had never heard of the band okay right so and apparently they were really big mega, and, and, and mega I, big yeah so Huge. but i hadn't heard of okay yeah. thank you yeah. so i hadn't heard of them and and so you know we're doing I think it was a drummer's house and he Travis. lives Travis Barker yeah. and he lives down in Costa Mesa or, or Corona lives in Corona. Remember it was the name of a beer. He lives down <laughs> in Corona on, on a golf course with the most amazing home with the stone. It was all stone that heated up. He just had this gorgeous home, yeah. but producers would always get upset with me because I'm just like Mr. Straightforward. I'm like, so what do you do in the band? <laughs> It's going to be like me in these interviews. And, <laughs> and, 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 and the producers would get this look and they're like, don't, what are you doing? I don't think they care. No, I would. In fact, it was the opposite. They'd yeah. be like, they're like, oh, well, I'm the drummer. Yeah. And, totally. Uh, and I'd be like, so, you know, what kind of music do you guys do? Well, we prove, you know, and, and they would tell it to me. And, and I, I personally, I really think they genuinely liked it. Yeah. Because yeah. I wasn't like, can I have your autograph? Right. You know, I, um, I don't know who you are. Who yeah. are you? Um, I, we, I think we cribbed. What was it? Pink? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't heard of her either. Yeah. And I'm like, so what do you do? Right. <laughs> like, do you sing? Or you do you have a band? Is Pink a band? Or is it, right. you know, and the producer right. wrote, it's like, Dave, 
<laughs> Don't ask him that. But you see this wall that would yeah, just goes down. disappear. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, well, you know, and I do this and this. I'm like, wow, you're really, you know, okay. And they'd say, well, let me let me play something for you. Right. I'm like, okay. I'm like, wow, that's fucking awesome. Right. See, that's awesome. Now, I think I, why that's awesome is probably because those conversations start to go away. When you become famous, you never, you know, you no longer have to explain sure. what your band is. I mean, you and I have that those conversations. What's your, what is your band? What do you, what do you play in the band? Mm-hmm. What, what genre are you? Yeah. If you're famous, those conversations. Well, leave. interestingly, I recently had this with um, um, the hip hop artist Ti. Okay. See, now I would be like, "Who are you?" That's what, what you I do? said to him. Yeah. I said, "I somebody told me today that you're a musician." <laughs> and he looked and he goes, "Well, uh, he's like one of the most well-known rappers right now. Right now. I mean, he's now getting older, but he's." It's very it's well known. Ti, Ti, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I, didn't, yeah, I, don't, I, don't I didn't either. Yeah. So when he came in, every, it was a big hush, hush. Hey, you know, studio's got to be clean. Da da da. So as opposed to the pigsty, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. Isn't it always? It's, clean. it's totally clean. <laughs> so he's a musician. I'm like, oh, I didn't have any idea. We're doing ADR. I'm recording his ADR, and uh, um, it's not going well because of the condition that the movie's in. Long story. Um, we're trying to rebuild scenes that has missing audio. Ooh. Let that sink in. Yeah. Right? We're doing ADR to rebuild the scenes. Man. Um, I sense the spiral happening and I just, mm. I say, hey, so somebody told me that you're a musician. And he turns Now, was it, get some background. Was it his film or? He was a star. He was producing okay. um, <clears throat> opposite <throat> Mike Epps. Okay, it's gotcha. actually called The Trap, which is on mm, Netflix. I've worked right with now. Mike Epps on a film. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that actually was a moment where not knowing who he was, he could actually then just kind of like yeah. relax a little bit and not get so upset. And we talked about music. And then, of course, I went and YouTube stalked him. And he's got <laughs> like 8 million views on you know all yeah. of his releases. Yeah. And you know, yeah. just one of those things. So what's that like? Oh my God, I can't even imagine. You lose audio and you have to re somehow try to put it back in. How do you do that? How well, the you you can well you have a script and you have a script supervisor who is monitoring that. And yeah. if there's and and for each scene, there should be a note of instead of saying, "Hey, dude," he said, "Hey, what's up?" And then you mark, "Okay, take three. He said, "Hey, what's up?" Instead of "Hey, dude." So. If it's all logged in correctly, you can, this doesn't solve the problem, but this helps. You can then go, well, we use take three in this shot. Mm. Take three's notes are that he said everything he was supposed to. So you at least you have that down. Right. But what you're missing is the essence and the nuance and just the the, the ambiance yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of the room tone. The space. The yeah. space, the yeah. room tone. And, you know, even the best of the best, it's still... You know, you can get close and hopefully it's just a few words. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you your job. Um, but um, but I think the hardest part would be how you said something. Well, that was the thing the is moment. we hired we hired a lip reader. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. We hired a lip well, reader. Well, then that's them. Then they probably did that in lieu of going through notes. Ooh. Maybe they not didn't have good notes. No, they were. There, there weren't. They no. that's right. There were no script just, supervising um, notes. Okay, no. it, it was the importance of a script supervisor, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. We were yeah. really we were really behind the eight ball on that, and they were trying to. There was four scenes, 
So, so they didn't even have a script to fall back on no. with notes, no. right? So you're getting a forensic lip reader. Yep. Man. We got a person literally to read lips. And there was a lot of start and stop. When with Mike, which I'm sure you know, there's tons of play back and forth and overlapping and mm. you know all of that stuff yeah, yeah. and, and ad-libbing. So you're, uh-huh. you're like looking at that going... And then you don't know what's being said off camera. Yeah, exactly. You have to guess, you know, so if I'm looking at at Mike and he goes, yeah, yeah, I can do that, Dave. You know, you got to guess what I just asked him mm-hmm. off oh, camera because yeah, yeah. you don't even have me. You're looking at him listening to me. That's right. Rough. Right. Yeah, so, rough. so then I guess it, you know, you got to go to memory, which is it's probably what, six months later mm-hmm. that they shot oh, this? Yeah, yeah, at least. Yeah. So That's crazy. You know, I mean. So from Cribs, MTV Cribs. <laughs> yes. To what? Um, uh, then I did a film called uh, Seventh of Fail. So now you're. I'm, you're, actually, I'm like, am I going to admit this publicly? You're behind the camera now. <laughs> I'm the cinematographer. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. So I'm behind the camera. So um, uh, uh, a woman I knew in film school had recommended me to a producer who recommended me to a director for a half a million dollar film called Seventh Veil, mm. which uh, it, it literally sits in somebody's closet and and, uh, and 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 pray to God it always stays there. <laughs> it should never not not a proud moment come out. So here's the premise of the film, right? Huh. So talk to me, Goose. It, it, yeah. So the, here's the premise of the film, which all works up to the punchline, and there's a punchline. So it's it revolves around a series of murders of strippers at a strip joint. Oh boy. In Hollywood, right? That uh-huh. who strip at the Seventh Veil? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. A detective comes to investigate the series of murders and falls for mm-hmm. the lead uh, stripper, right? Mm-hmm. Who's? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. She's blind. Oh boy! <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> so it's an unusual twist, right? So, so, so. Stories from the film, you say? Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're shooting at it's. Uh, there's a coffee shop right over at Kawanga and Franklin. I forget what it's called. And next door to it, I think it's like a restaurant now, but it used to be a strip joint run by uh, Russians, I think. Right. Mm. So I'm, it was legitimate, right? So <laughs> sounds legit. Yeah. So it was legitimate. So, <laughs> so the producers went there, talked to the manager, and said we'd like to come shoot there. And, uh, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And so, you know, that stuff's being cut. That deal is being cut. So we show up there, crew equipment all comes in. And um, and, and then suddenly the owner walks in. Who are you people? <laughs> We're like, I don't know. Who are you? <laughs> this is my club. Who are you? You did not talk to me about being here. So the manager's trying to cut a deal on the side. Oh, oh, the shit. owner shows up, you know, so there's more cash flow floating out right. so now we're going to do the scene where the girl is going to come out and she's going to strip right and so the director's like okay this is the scene um where you come out and you know you'll do your strip and mm-hmm. she goes um i don't take my clothes off and he's like what um it's not in my contract and you never asked me to take my clothes off so oh. i won't be removing my clothes for wow. this wow so I got a blind stripper who doesn't strip. Right. <laughs> so, what year was this? Oh God, I think in the forties. No, um, my early career. No, in this your forties. This maybe. was probably two thousand and two, I think. Okay. And um, 
And so the first AD was a guy oh, named Dan, Dan Hefner, uh, who had been working for Buena Vista Pictures, and he was doing this little film because he used to be a first AD, and he's producing. And Dan and I met on that. And first, um, sorry, first AD is uh, first, first assistant director. Yeah, first is basically think of if you don't know what that is, think of a ringleader in okay. a circus, right? right. He's like, over Good. here are the elephants, and there's the right. clowns, and you come in now, you leave, yeah. and he sort of directs that whole you know, cacophony of right. cooking. Yeah. yeah. It's like cooking a massive meal for right. 30 people. So many know? moving parts. So many moving parts. So Dan and I were just at each other's throats all the time because it was just such a cluster F, you mm -hmm. know, of a movie. Right. And uh, can I cuss? I don't know. Oh, yeah. We've absolutely. been cussing all the fucking time. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. You can use so swear, words. <laughs> swear words. <laughs> swear words. So, um, and, but strangely enough, we became friends out of that. And... Dan, uh, Dan, Dan, um, uh, we, I think we stayed in touch a little bit and then, uh, he, he called me up and he says, look, I'm going to, I think it was, I think mailed. I don't think, I don't, can't remember if I had emailed that one. He says, I'm going to mail you a script, take a read. Right. Mailed. And, and then the film's called Saw. And All right. This, this, this young guy out of film school named James and his friend Lee. Right. So, um, and so I remember reading it and I'm thinking, I read it. I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. And I, I remember calling Dan. I said, can he direct? He says, I don't know, but I know he can direct this. He's got a great, you know, uh, little, he, he made a short based on it where, um, if you've seen the movie, saw there's this trap where the camera spins around. It's on, uh, Shawnee Smith's head. Well, they had shot a short of that with Lee Wanell, the young guy locked in the bathroom, where he's the one with it on his head. So you could, I think if you get the DVD, you see the short on there too. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, and this was just after 9-11, which was, when was 9-11? 2001? 2001. Yeah, so this is like 2003. So, so James, that mask that you see on her head, he had had one like that built, but he didn't bring it because he thought, you know, coming in with customs this <laughs> right, might, right. might be a little weird. So yeah. we had to build a new one. Um, so we built one there. So, um, and I didn't meet James until five days before we started shooting because immigration being what it was at the time in the high alert, you know, there was questions about, you know, where James was born, where he grew up in Australia. And so there were all this like, you need to go to yeah. Canada. Yeah. So they kicked him up to Toronto. So he, I think he was in Toronto. Wow. He's a three hour difference in time zone. So, you know, he didn't get here until I think like Tuesday or Wednesday and five days later we're shooting. Wow. Right. So like with, with no other prep than that. Yeah. No other prep wow. than on the phone. So he's here <laughs> and he's just making choices. Wow. Uh, and we didn't really have a chance to go over the shots and, you know, but and making saw is a different story, but, um, so, so Dan called me up and said, you know, um, so, and it's funny, I was uh, doing some MTV crib stuff when Dan called me. I had just gotten a cell phone because my grandfather had moved into a, a, a home. And so I thought, well, I, I didn't see a need for a phone at that point. You know, I was still living off of pay phones mm -hmm. and stuff. And not and a lot of people had pay phones in 2003. So I got one and in case, you know, the hospital sure. needed me sure. or the home. And, uh Dan calls me and says, uh, you know, hey, got this movie and, you know, it's, I know it's last minute coming in and whatnot. And I was sitting on an igloo cooler in the back of a 15 passenger van on Hollywood Boulevard, sitting there with a camera shooting out a window, shooting an episode. 
right, of, you know, cribs and stuff. And <laughs> just like, and, and, you know, and I was just sort of getting some B-roll. And and I just remember sitting on that eagle yeah. going, this is not what I want to be doing. Yeah. Great right? timing on the call. Yeah. And then Dan called and said, hey, I got this movie. You want to do it? And I was like, mm-hmm. yes. Leaped out into traffic, ran down Hollywood <laughs> Boulevard. No, but yeah, that's that was just... And that 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 was a huge uh, right yeah. turn in my career, in my life. That's great, man. So, how many films have you done so to this date as a cinematographer? <clears throat> yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> a Quite lot. a few. I don't. Yeah, I, I think I don't know. I have to look at IMDb. I th- I'll do it right now. I think it's like maybe fifteen or so, or before I decide to start directing. I mean, well, I know I did six saws. <laughs> yeah, there's so, six there. We so got I got six. six yeah. <laughs> right. So um, I honestly don't know. I haven't counted. I mean, it's not so many I can't remember. Yeah, it just is. Uh, right, Kreppel's hitting the internet. So what do you? Up. What do you? What do you like more? What do you prefer more? Do you? Did you like? Do you like directing? Do you... I like directing. It really fits me. But you know, it, it was it was my cinematography <clears throat> agent Craig Mizrahi, who took me to a meeting to meet with my first directing agent about ten years ago. And he took me, says, I want to meet these guys about possibly representing you as a director. And I was like, kind of like, well, it didn't seem to be my idea. I'm like, okay, I'll go along. I'm uh, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but your recollection is really distorted. Did, yeah. you, say, did you say 15? He said 15. Well, yeah. <laughs> well it's, you can't Six go by that those. top number because I was a camera assistant for 10 years. So. I've got 41 cinematography credits. Oh, okay. I guess 41. 15, they, all, they all blend 15. together. <laughs> they all blend. Listen, I don't know how to In use a remote years. control, so <laughs> don't. Oh, this is good. That's good. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I, I thought I remembered more and okay. when, I looked, when I looked at I, your IMDb, so. Um, thank you for that. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> now, yeah. now I know. Um, um, where were we? Just the, the difference between, you know, how you feel about directing oh, and... Um, you know, when I was a camera assistant, I thought, man, being a DP was just like going to Mars. It was just something far away. And I remember when I directed my first big project, it was at the end of my first year at AFI. And I, I had an 80-foot techno crane. We had this mansion in Hancock Park. And we had this, it was a noir piece. Oh, ironically, it was a noir. Mm-hmm. It was a, It was 1939. It was, um, it was this... Uh, uh, this whole huge project, and I remember how nervous I was, because I had a really big crew. I got people from outside the school, and I just had a, you know, and I got a lot of people I knew I'd worked with for years to come help me. And I remember in the middle of it, all of a sudden going, how do I know how to do all this? And I'm like, oh, I've been on the set for yeah. 10 years yeah, as yeah. a camera assistant. You know, you just, I thought not being in the position, I wouldn't know what to do, but I knew what to do, because it just, Osmosis. I've yeah. just been around it forever. So that was my first epiphany of like, oh, I know what I'm doing. This is okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And let me ask you this, dude, um, because I know how we work in the studio and it's very open. You know, we bounce ideas and, you know, you give me your initial um, idea, like, this is how I want this to be. And, you know, how you make that happen inside there. I'm open to your ideas, but this is the overall thing. When you're directing, do you ever have to, uh, pull your talent aside and say, look, this is what we're trying to accomplish in this scene as, as your vision, right? As the director, or do you have to completely surrender to their, as a director? Yeah. Surrender to their interpretation, to their character, what they're, well, hopefully I'll just speak from my experience. Well, and also what I've witnessed. I mean, as a camera assistant, I've watched a lot 
of directing. And as a director of photography, I've watched a lot of directing. Right. I mean, I think, you know, if I have any success as a director, it'll be because I watched a lot of mistakes. Yeah. I watched a lot of things not to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've seen I've seen very big name actors talking with a director in the other room, right? The door is open. They're like, okay, this time I want you to do this. That. And they're yelling back and forth. And I've seen the actor go, why don't you get out of your chair and come talk to me? As they mumbled to themselves. And I'm like, oh, right. that's a good note. Now go yeah. talk to the actors. <laughs> like, go, yeah, get be, out of your chair yeah. off the monitor yeah. and go talk. You know, so it's I've, I've gotten to see firsthand all the mumbling and all the things not to do. I, I saw a director once. An actor goes, what am I feeling in the scene? And the director was under so much pressure. They go, you feel fine. Let's shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the gaffer was next to me. And the gaffer just hung his head and went, oh, God. Is it pressure filled to be on a set? Oh, yeah. Is, is oh. there? Is it... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, Nonstop. It's all it is is problem solving. It really... it, imagine this. Imagine you have a huge wedding. Right, you have a huge wedding. You mm-hmm. have lots of guests. You have caterer. Yeah. You have food. You have you have you have clothes. You have location. You have we're going to eat. We're getting married here. You have all of this. Imagine trying to t- prepare for all, and you're getting married Saturday, and you start preparing for all that on Thursday. Ugh. I can't. It takes a, it takes a year. Now imagine doing that. Imagine. It's it's now no one. Oh, now you'd say, well, no one prepares, but but it's kind of like that chaos. I mean, filmmaking should be it's a great example by the way it should be on the day on the day you're shooting all it should be is executing what you've planned yeah and and you want to get all your problems out of the way in advance because the day you're shooting there's going to be problems but hopefully it's just one two or these problems but but so many filmmakers don't do the prep and then they're like you know and and a crew being crew for so long and i really understand a crew watches the first five minutes of the first day, right? They they watch to see what kind of movie it's going to be. And there's two scenarios, which is, you know, if if, uh, if Kreppel was my cinematographer, I'd say, okay, this is scene one. This is where he's walking in the door. Okay, so, yeah, so Kreppel, as we talk, camera's over here. They're walking here. The key light's there. Dun-dun-dun. And then, you know, let's do a rehearsal and see how that looks. Right. And then the crew goes, OK, they've talked about where the camera goes. They, they, they've they talked, you, you know, the crew says, OK, you've done your homework. And then there's those films of going, so mm. where should we put the camera? Oh, no. Right. right? Um, well, which which door have we determined which door he's walking in? <laughs> well, he could walk in this, this door. feels dirty already. It, this works. This dirty. And then and then the crew <laughs> it's goes, like long, it's oh, long. it's yeah. that film. Yeah. It's going to be that long, hard oh, grudge. Yeah. And yeah. right. So there's, you know, and it's uh, you know, the wedding is the best analogy because every even if you've never been married, even if you've never you've been, been to, to a wedding, wedding yeah. you just know what's involved. Yeah. Strangely, I don't know if it's part of our DNA <laughs> or do, something, yeah. but, you know, you could ask a 20 year old, do you know what's involved with a wedding? Oh, yeah. You got to, you know, got a DJ, you got to have, have the wedding, well, you got to yeah. have someone to do Where the do Okay. Food, okay. right, right. But you know, imagine, you know, and that's what happens. That's you know, essentially, you know, a low by two million dollar film gets six weeks of pre-production, you know, when it really needs six months of pre-production. Mm-hmm. But you know, you don't have the money all the time, and so then, you know, we don't have a lot of money, so you can't necessarily get the most experienced people. And then you, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's an impossibility on paper. It's yeah. just you look at it on paper. And so you're like, why? How are we getting that done in twenty days? Mm-hmm. So why do it? Uh, same reason, like why be a musician? Yeah. yeah, you know, because it's it's you know it's how you. many how many are making the 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 
money. How many are paying all their bills yeah. by singing and playing? Yeah. The same with us. It's it's just it's in your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I I remember I took it when I was at CalArts getting my bachelor's in cinematography. I took an uh, acting class for non-actors. Everyone who wasn't an actor at CalArts took a you can take an acting class. And I remember my instructor, a guy named Matt Tomlanovich, he just started off with saying, look, if acting's not in your heart and your soul and you're not willing to be hungry for it and be rejected, don't do it. Yeah. It just, you know. That's and, huge, great advice. And, really and good it's advice. The, you know. Same with anything. Music. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, you know, and and filmmaking. I mean, trust me, there's, there's plenty of times every week where I'm like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just a numbers game. It's, it's rejection. You just keep going. It's not personal, but you just, you just keep going. So my, my writing partner and I, we have a lot of scripts we're, we're, we get our scripts, get read. We get a lot of great general meetings out of them. And then they're like, well, what else do you got? Okay. Well, we got, you know, mm-hmm. you just, and, and, you know, you just hope one of them becomes the golden child, yeah. you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, as our manager says, you know, we've we've written a lot of scripts. He says, "Look, that's all inventory. Because if one strikes, then they're going to say, what other scripts have you?' Yeah. Or if one song hits, no, they go, I was just going to say that's the exact same exactly parallel. Same. Do you have other music? Yeah. What else do you got? This is great. I like this. Yes. You just got to get that one door to open, yeah. and it's 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 persistence. It's luck. Yeah. It's it's, well, it's you know, sometimes you know talent. Well, I was just going to say. Not even with music, but in my section of making movies, mm-hmm. I'll get David back because we did so well. That's exactly relationship. You know what I mean? That's with- that. That's that thing where you're like, okay, this is this is a good thing. What else do you got? Yeah. I know we're gonna make a good movie. So you know that the relationship, it's true establishment, um, I think is is very valid and, and important for longevity for you know, to keep yeah. making good movies. So let's get to the, I want to get back to the Assassin's Code a little <laughs> oh, bit. How long did it? That was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. How long did it take to make that Assassin's film? Code was a producer friend of mine. Stay tuned for the answer to that question on next week's podcast as we continue our discussion with David Armstrong in part two of this podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Unscripted Narrative. Bye for now. Bye for now.